podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am your regular co-host, Kim Wine, and I'm joined with my co-host with the most, unlike the other coast, <laughs> Kim Ooh. Cummings. How are you today, friend? I am so good. So good to hear your voice. And, you know, we won't be able to do that whole bi-coastal thing because you're... I'm moving to the mountains, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're moving to the mountains. It's yeah. okay. That's okay. I'll still be more East Coast, so that'll be all right. That's right. That's right. All right. So we have a fabulous guest joining us that we are so excited to bring to our audience. We have Rosaria Butterfield joining us today. Woohoo! Hello, Rosaria. Oh, hello, Kim and Kim. It's so <laughs> good to be able to hang out with you lovely women once again. We, we just cool. love you. Well, we I love you too. We love you to pieces and we love that you, you actually live what you write and, and it's just, um, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to the church and we're thankful that God has given you to us. Well, I praise God that my messy life would be a blessing to anyone. <laughs> it, seems, it seems a little like that's only the way gospel math works, but you know, okie dokie. <laughs> 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 just in case our audience is not aware of who you are, I'm going to just give a little introduction of you, and then we'll get right into our discussion of your new book. Thank you. Rosaria Butterfield is a former professor of English and Women's Studies at Syracuse University, converted to Christ in 1999 in what she describes as a train wreck. Her memoir, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, chronicles that difficult journey. Rosaria is married to Kent, a Reformed Presbyterian pastor in North Carolina, and is a homeschool mom, author, and speaker. Rosaria is joining us today to discuss her latest book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Such an amazing title and such a convicting (laughs) book. Oh, well, I don't know what to say. It's probably (laughs) the most personal book I've written, strangely enough. I mean, which is really bizarre, right? Because I've written about sexuality of all things so you would think that that would be the first <laughs> there's truly something about opening your home mm-hmm. that is a very intimate uh you know prospect and then and then you know I, I really tried to write with honesty which mm-hmm. which of course means you fear that you're um really making yourself look like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> that did not happen. <laughs> I finished doing the recording for this book and I, I leave the studio and I think, wow, what kind of an idiot would write a book like this? And then I say, oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that idiot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. So, so anyway, you recorded your own audio book. It's in your voice. It is. All three of them are. All three of oh, the really? books are Christian See, awesome. I'm a, I'm a, a read. I need paper. Yeah, Right, um, but my husband loves audiobooks and I was telling okay. him that he he needs to get this because he drives a lot for work and he's on the road constantly and so he's yep. he's more an audiobook kind of kind yeah. of reader. Yep. <clears throat> Rosaria, in your book you discuss what you refer to as radically ordinary hospitality. So mm-hmm. could you just start the conversation by telling telling us what you mean by that? Right, right, right. That's one of those, like anytime you see two adjectives together, it means the editor, the editors weren't quite sure which to do. And so you just kind of add. <laughs> Biblically speaking, what I'm talking about is ordinary. Uh-huh. It's quite ordinary. You look to the book of Acts, the family of God lived like the family of God. They, they prayed daily. They organized organically. Their homes and lives were open. 
and they met strangers and welcomed them in. They met strangers, welcomed them as neighbors, and neighbors became family of God. And that was just part of the that was just part of the life of what it meant to be a Christian, because being a Christian in the early church meant that um, you were likely going to face a great deal of persecution. You may have lost your whole family. But conversion today means something not any less radical. It means that you are, you have, uh, I mean, conversion always comes um, not in addition to the life you once lived and once loved, but um, it, 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 it happens, um, it, 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 it radically overturns it. So mm-hmm. it replaces it. And so with that, you know, every Christian is going to have some kind of an identity crisis. Every Christian is going to have that that strange sense of, you know, I am no longer that person I was for years. Um, every Christian, and so so we come together with that kind of desperate sense that family of God actually means more than anything else. And what that means is that the blood of Christ actually means more even than the blood of biology. And so that is ordinary to the Bible. But it's radical to our our sanitized, cleaned up um, understandings of church life. Okay. So, you know, Kent and I were the only um, Christians in our families until our two youngest children came to faith. So for 17 years, Kent and I have been married and have been really hungry for the fellowship of the family of God. And so it is our own um, recognition of how um, how powerfully painful loneliness can be, how it can set you up to become constantly tossed about by Satan, how it can discourage and demean, and how it can really... Um, almost pervert the gospel message, a, a life of, of consistent loneliness. Um, when I look at something like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation will befall you except for that which isn't common to man, and God will give you a way of escape so that you can endure it. We like to think of our home as possibly the way of escape. And what we mean by that is we are our brother's keepers. And if we're not available for people in the real time of life, not just the third Lord's Day of the month fellowship dinner, then maybe we're part of the problem. And so, so we've been we've been committed to hospitality for, for years, in part to respond to just our own loneliness. Mm-hmm. But it was very recently that something happened in our neighborhood that made us realize that, I don't know, I mean, it's so obvious, I don't know why it took this event for us to realize it, but that our home is not our own, our life is not our own. Um, this post-Christian world desperately needs to see a loving Christian family of God. That would be an extended family of God, living like a family of God, being both earthly and spiritual good. In, in fact, I'm I'm firmly, I believe firmly that some of the issues that we're facing in a post-Christian world we would not have faced if we had been living like a family of God. And so really what this book does is it just it just opens the door to our very messy house with all the people here in it, you know, <laughs> who don't share the last name Butterfield. Some do, some don't. And it talks about why we have been committed to practicing daily hospitality. It talks about why we how we have been really blessed 
to practice a hospitality that is both open and regular. I, I share in it how, um, you know, it used to be that we would invite people over at a specific time. You know, we'd say, please come over at six on Tuesday. And we didn't realize that even by doing that, that we're, we were we were actually excluding some people. I mean, we didn't even think about the fact that if you are addicted to drugs or alcohol, or if you are in, a, in an abusive relationship, quite frankly, you don't know if you're going to be sober or safe Tuesday at six. You just don't. It's not, it's, it's a great question. It's just unanswerable to a lot of the people that we love and that we want to reach with the gospel. So this tragedy happened in our neighborhood. We had to decide what we were going to do. Um, once we made the decision, it became almost easier just to know that every day at a certain time, neighbors would be coming over to talk and process. Table fellowship was always, biblically speaking, how talking and processing worked. My husband, Kent, is a pastor. He's always been committed to family devotion. So at some point, the talking stops um, and the Bibles are opened. We sing a psalm, we, we, we read a passage of the scripture, Te Kent will teach us through a, a short section, we'll talk some more. Um, and we do that not to stop the conversation, but to deepen it, to bring Jesus into it. And for all the years that we've been doing it, we've had a few neighbors who will leave before the Bibles get cracked open, but most of them stay. Um, most of them stay. And most of them stay because we're really committed to the dignity of our neighbors. Uh, the, the human condition is one that is constantly swinging between depravity and dignity, human depravity, you, uh, human dignity. And, and even something like the LGBTQ rights movement, is, is it, it desires dignity. Mm -hmm. I desire dignity for my neighbors and friends who identify on the LGBTQ spectrum. Mm -hmm. But the dignity that God offers, biblically speaking, is not one where you're going to be exploited through political rights. You will never become a poster child for somebody else's problem. Mm -hmm. God's dignity is going to come to you through what it means to be an image bearer of a holy God. Mm -hmm. And it's going to come to you through what it means to reflect God's image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And it comes with some hard edges. It means that being an image bearer also comes with responsibilities of sexual difference. It means that being born male or female come with ethical and moral responsibilities and constraints and blessings. It doesn't minimize, though, that for some people, those constraints are bigger than the blessings. And so it acknowledges that being image bearers, it means that, you know, we're not we're not in la-la land here. We know that the Christian life is not democratic. It means that one person might have one cross to bear and another 10. And those crosses weigh a lot less when we can help bear each other's burdens. And we can't do that from long distance. We do that by actually knowing each other well enough. And so in the book, I talk about how important it is to make sure that your words are not stronger than your relationships. That's like the anti-social media message, right? I mean, that's like <laughs> yeah. the, you know, that's like playing the opposite game on Twitter right now, right? You know, no, no. Make sure that your relationships are actually as strong, if not stronger, than your words. And so, you know, I'm I'm not on any kind of social media. I have written some other books that came that came with a certain amount of 
notoriety at a certain point. Um, I could have cashed in on that notoriety, but Kent and I decided it would make more sense to peel potatoes. So mm -hmm. that's what this book is about, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's about how God blesses you and meets you in the small things. And, it, and it's about how if you don't want your children to think that Jesus is just a prop you pull out Sunday morning or Wednesday night, then don't live like it. And or when you get men. so many likes or comments I mean, on yeah. social media. Yeah, that, that's not Absolutely. real. See, that's not real. This is real. Living, really loving your neighbors is real life. Really learning how to seek out strangers. And you know what? For some people, that, that doesn't come easily because here's what happens. Strangers do not fall from the sky. <laughs> if you want to actually seek strangers out, you will need to probably go get home studied and work with an agency that might allow you to have the privilege of meeting people who don't have your class privilege, who don't have your many, many, many layers of support teams. And so the book talks about the, the blessing of doing that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Hebrews 13 talks about sometimes when you are living communally or you're, you're gathering in people who used to be strangers, you know, they stop being strangers the minute they walk through the threshold of your door, first of all. But that, that Bible passage talks about how sometimes you will entertain angels unaware. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say everybody's going to love you because you are just so courageous and in, you know, engaging in these, with these quote unquote homeless people. It doesn't say, you know, you're going to write a, a blog post that's going to go viral because you're going to talk about what a great deed you did. Not at all. It says, you will be blessed mm -hmm. and you will be blessed because you're going to find out that, that the people that you thought were strangers are actually light years ahead of you in the Christian faith. Hmm. They have a fortitude. You, you, you haven't, you haven't even developed yet that you'll be blessed because you'll be edified. Um, and so then, then you start to reevaluate, you know, those things have actually happened to us. Those aren't just theoretical things in the Bible. The Butterfields have experienced that. And then you start to realize some of the questions that we have in this world, they're opposite. The question isn't, is this person unsafe? The question might be, am I unsafe? Mm -hmm. The question isn't, if we let these people in our home, is our home safe? The question might be just the opposite. Is my home safe for someone else? And, you know, those are just things that you you could learn. I didn't make this up. I didn't, you know, this is not some kind of prophetic wisdom. This is, these are the things you learn if you're home studied through a group like Safe Family mm -hmm. um, or even the foster care system. These are the things you learn when you see your Christmas dinner through the eyes of a prisoner on furlough that day. You know, this is what it, you know, you learn things that you needed to know to be safe to the very people that Jesus will send your way. So this is a book that really just chronicles how much I needed to learn about risk and safety, strangers and family, and God's capacious heart for all of us. So Rosaria, sure. you and I both live in the South and mm -hmm. Kim Cummings is from Texas. So right. would you discuss for us 
for a minute how biblical hospitality differs from Southern hospitality. So are doilies and napkin folding required? Right. Well, I, I do live in the South, but I am not from the South. And <laughs> right. I probably would be, pro- I would be likely apt to clean up a, like a hairball with a doily or something. something. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> I don't, you don't want me. You, you see, when I tell people, I'm going to say, it, I, I don't decorate, I vacuum. Okay. <laughs> Amen, I sister. I back you. Yeah. And, and you know, I haven't, you know, you met one of the kids, one of the cats just jumped on the table while we're Skyping here. So, you know, I mean, the, the cat's 18 pounds. He, I kid around that he had to buy stripe extenders this year. His stripes didn't, you know, didn't go all the way around. After, you know, you're glad I vacuum. You're really glad I vacuum. So, so, um, so here's here's a big difference. Um, my home is open not so that you can be impressed with my home or impressed with its cleanliness or um, impressed with the. I, I serve very simple food that you can stretch immediately. Um, I want you to know Jesus, mm. and I want you to know that I believe that in order to put the hand of the suffering or the hand of the stranger into the hand of the Savior, I'm going to have to get to, close enough to both of you. Mm-hmm. to maybe get hurt. Right. And so I want the meal to be there because I believe that um, food and table fellowship is is a very important part of a gospel ministry, taking care of the body, genuinely caring for people's comfort, wanting to be earthly good. That is very important. This is, this is not a small thing. Um, at the same time, I don't want us to be obsessed with it because I want to get to what it means to be an image bearer of a holy God. You know, it, it used to be that you would share the gospel with your neighbors by saying, Kim, guess what? Jesus has saved you from your sin. But the problem is most of the people I'm going to meet named Kim today, other than you two lovely ladies, does not <laughs> believe she needs saving from her sin. She needs, she, she believes she needs saving from me or right. other Christians <laughs> who are going to want to say that. So, uh, yeah, so this is not about entertainment. Also, also, Christian hospitality has a pretty blurry boundary between host and guest. Um, mm-hmm. At a certain point in our home, uh, I, so I homeschool, so at a certain point in my home, I'm beating my head against the table, and so are my children. Mm-hmm. And about that Amen. time, the singles from the church are going to, single women, single men are going to come in because we we have wanted to be a home that is always open to the singles in our church mm-hmm. and to the single Christians in our neighborhood, because it's a long day out there in the world. It's good yes. to have a place that you gather, that you know that you're always welcome, that you can have family devotions, that you can talk about temptations and problems as they come up. Um, mm-hmm. So at a certain point, that's going to happen. And and I can act, absolutely predict this, that there's going to be a big wad of laundry, unfolded laundry on the dining room table. And that's where my single women friends are much wiser than I, because they know the most important thing you can do with a wad of unfolded, recently dried laundry on the dining room table, you are going to shove it back in the dryer. Uh, so you can <laughs> set right. the table, you know, like it doesn't, do you see what I'm saying? Um, uh-huh. but I'm not really, sometimes I'm a guest in my own home. I'm not just the host. Hmm. Um, I, I do prepare for table fellowship. I mean, you know, this does require a certain amount of preparation. Just like um, 
prayer requires preparation and homeschooling your children requires preparation. And so, so I add this to my list of things that I want to be ready for, but host and guest are permeable. I'm not here to impress people. I want this to be a place where Jesus could lay his head. I want my neighbors to know that this Christian home is a good place to work out your problems and difficulties. I want my, my unbelieving neighbors to know that just like Christian, just, just like Jesus has great compassion for people in their suffering, including people who are suffering because of sin, so do Christians. Mm-hmm. I want this home to be an embassy, not a castle. Amen. Mm-hmm. You've been very open in your book, Rosaria, about how costly, radically ordinary hospitality is. Um, both financially and, as you've already mentioned, emotionally. Uh, how have you seen the providence of God shine forth in the, in the midst of the costliness? Right, right. That's such a good question. The book was written after 17 years of, of my husband and I trying to work through how to do this. And one of the things that we learned after many, 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 many years of being married, is that actually living below your means can really be a good move in terms of hospitality because it does two things. It gets you into a neighborhood where there are people live closer together and tend to be a little bit more open. And it also means that you have a lot more wiggle room. Um, so, So that was just something that you can't fix right away. You know, so people who are listening thinking, that sounds lovely, but I'm way, I'm, I'm, I'm house poor right now. Please know, I remember what that was like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we've been there. We've been there. Um, so, you know, it helps just to set some goals and then to prayerfully walk forward with the Lord in those. So, so just to let you know that this, we didn't, we didn't start out with the kind of wiggle room that we, that we needed. Um, but, but by God's grace, we're, we're there now. So, you know, um, for the last month, we and another family in our church have been ha- helping to house a Christian family displaced by homelessness. Um, first of all, it's been great that it's two families working together because there's been a lot of there's a lot of care need that would go into that um, because there's a mom and a dad and there's children. And so people are going in some different directions and people need some different things. So it's great that it's been two families working together. It means that we've you know, we're working together, we're putting meals together communally. It's, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, and in the course of the last month, we could absolutely tell you that our food budget has pretty much tripled and our water bill has gone up. Mm-hmm. We have also missed a few swim team practices. We've missed a piano lesson and we've missed a haircut. I mean, I can just tell you what we've missed. What we have gained is simply unfathomable. Mm -hmm. Our children have watched God move a mountain and not have it land on us. Amen. People who were strangers have become neighbors, have become family of God. Our children all banter around like siblings or cousins, including squabbling over pillows and <laughs> the last piece of it and other. It's it it 
if if I wasn't so busy reprimanding all of these people, it would move me to tears. <laughs> and if I ever wanted to teach my children that other people's sin is worse than my own, or if I ever wanted to say to my children that um, um, we just need to lock our doors and keep strangers out, if I ever wanted to teach stranger danger to my children, they would laugh me out of the house. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, I, I couldn't even pull it off at this point. <laughs> I mean, like, even if I wanted to, they couldn't pull it off. Because in the course of the last couple of years, they've seen this. Mm-hmm. They've seen this was not the first time they've seen this. They saw what it was like when our neighbor, who was the kind of the Boo Radley, you know, from mm-hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird, the 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 despised, misunderstood, lonely man who turned out to be a meth addict, and the you know, well, they saw him come to Christ, mm-hmm. and they saw what happens in a neighborhood when the local meth addict comes to Christ. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what happens. Everything changes when that happens, because yeah. people who thought that we were all cleaned up now have to look at ourselves through a much holier lens, and we're not looking so good. So over the course of doing this, my children have seen this. If I ever wanted to teach them stranger danger, they would just laugh. And I'll tell you what, it's not because strangers haven't been dangerous. I guess let me just say that. It's not because it's always been easy. We've been robbed. We've had to repair holes in the wall. And we've had to remember that the people who did these things are fellow image bearers of a holy God. Who, by God's grace, might become my pastor someday. Because hmm. that's how God works. He is. So absolutely. So it's been a it's it's always here's the thing about the gospel. You always see more of Jesus and less of yourself. You always think more highly of Jesus and less highly of yourself. You always realize that whatever gifts God's given you are really just filthy rags, but if he wants to use them, okie dokie. And again, you're just really amazed that God keeps providing. So back in the days when we were house poor, we, you know, we, we found the house of our dreams and we were living in the neighborhood of our dreams, but we were starting to practice hospitality like this. We started to notice that people just kept gifting us. And that's true today. I mean, people will just see what's going on in our house. And you don't have to have details. You just see all the cars lined up or all the people on the, all the kids on the tire swing, all the kids gathered around the picnic table that's in the front yard. Um, And neighbors just do things. They just give me Kroger gift cards, which is phenomenal. they bring boxes of popsicles. Um, you know, the singles in the church who get tired of my minestrone soup. How does that happen? I wonder. I don't know. <laughs> they, tired, they actually do things like they, they go to Chick-fil-A and they buy everybody Christian chicken. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. And it was their pleasure. And it was their pleasure because you know what? They're sick of eating my minestrone soup. That's what I tell people. I make three meals. I recycle those three meals. They're called house. You know, this is the, this is just the, 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 the house meals. And 
If you don't like it, then just please contribute whatever you'd like. And people do. And, you know, we've had other situations. So after we had this experience at our in our neighborhood where um, our neighbor was arrested and we were the only people who like knew his name and his last name and we took in his dog and we knew how to contact his aged mom. And so when those sound like very do-gooder things, don't they? Except for here's the reality when the you know, guy across the street is arrested for having a meth lab in his house and you are the only family who knew him well. Um, believe me, your neighbors aren't really keen on you anymore. You know, they're just wondering because rightly so they're wondering, you know, did you know what's wrong with you? So we just tell people that if you want to love the stranger, you will be strange. Yeah. It will happen. Um, but, but one of the things that did happen over the course of that um, that event was that we really did learn um, that a Christian home can be a very good place to work through problems. And so the, the next day, my husband put on the next door listserv, you are all welcome. You know, he just invited 300 homes over for a barbecue at our house uh, after the after church on Sunday. And, you know, people have said, that's crazy. And, you know, we'll tell you, it's not the first time we've done it. It's not the last time we've done it. Two things happen when you invite 300 households, maybe three things. Here's the first. Everybody feels loved. Every single person in your neighborhood will feel loved. And, and they'll, they'll tell you so. The, you'll get emails, you'll get little messages back about how, you know, nobody's invited me to anything since the divorce or I'm shut in and I can't move, but I'll pray for you. Um, you learn how to help people. You learn who's hurting. The second thing that happens is about 10% of the people show up. I mean, really, you know, a spontaneous cookout, come on, 10% of the people show up. So you, you, you barter for a cookout of 35 people. And then three, if you run out of hot dogs, this is the best thing that could happen is here in our middle-class lives, we could run out of hot dogs. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful when it happens because what you do then is you say to the guy parked the last in your driveway, you've never even met him before until now. You say, hey, buddy, I'm Rosaria. Oh, you're Bill. Hi, Bill. Nice to meet you. We need more hot dogs. Can you run to Food Lion, please? Thank you. You know, mm -hmm. people become, they become stakeholders right. in what you're doing. It's wonderful. And also what happens then is you can really, you can make yourself available to hear, to listen. Christians need to spend time listening to people who think differently than we do. Mm -hmm. A crisis brings that out because if Christians think differently about our well-manicured, prepared lives, guess what? We think differently about a crisis. And specifically, we think differently about the human nature that maybe produces that crisis. Specifically, we think people are born in original sin. And what we mean by that is we mean anything goes. We mean that there's evil in the hearts of all of us. That means we are all capable of the most heinous evil. We don't hear about the evil across the street and think that could never be me. That's not how we operate. Meanwhile, our unsaved neighbors very much agree with Rousseau. And, and, and they believe that people are, are born good. And everywhere out there are the chains of evil. And if you want to say, well, actually, no, we're born evil. And only in Jesus Christ can we break those chains. Mm 
then you need to listen. And an outdoor barbecue where you've invited everybody and you don't know who's going to come, but you know that they're going to come complaining. <laughs> Here's what you know. <laughs> That's ideal. That's ideal Christian ministry. Mm-hmm. And so we talk a little bit in the book about, again, the need to be open, wide open, and consistent and regular, and how God has blessed that. So, you know what? Our children will never be Olympic soccer stars. Let me just be the first to tell you. Never. Our, my children will never dress in designer jeans. It, it just ain't going to happen. <laughs> um, but they have known how to witness the gospel to people who are hurting. They have participated in the this gospel witness from the time that they were converted. And that is priceless to me. Absolutely. I have a quote from you and it is, God doesn't ever get the address wrong. He put you where you are for a reason. Yeah. And you've, you've put forth a pretty radical challenge to your readers in this book because hospitality will play out differently in everyone's mm-hmm. life, um, depending on which address the Lord has given each of us, mm-hmm. can you just give us some practical ways someone who might be overwhelmed listening to this could start small and grow from? Uh, absolutely. And you know, what? if everybody did a little something, it really wouldn't seem that crazy. That's right. And, you know, the subtitle of the book is Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. Mm-hmm. And part of the impetus of why this now is that subtitle. You know, we do live in a world where, to quote the theologian Theo Hobson, what was formerly despised is now celebrated. What was formerly celebrated is now despised. And those who refuse to celebrate are despised. That's the world we live in. Now, if we like that, then business as usual. Please go on, do as you will. Mm-hmm. If you don't like that, It causes all of us to say, what can we do? How can I open my arms a little wider? How can I do what I do and open my arms a little wider? Now, I recognize, because I've lived this, that certain seasons of life require that you close the door. They just do. I've had a parent dying in my home. I've adopted teenagers who were the ones who put the holes in the walls. It would have been irresponsible to to practice a kind of open-ended hospitality when you've got plenty to do inside. But when I was converted, I was converted through the ministry of neighbors and Christians, um, Ken and Floyd Smith. At that point, I was an out lesbian feminist in New York, and it was in the 90s, and that is when the world, our, the, the gay community was facing this illness called AIDS. We'd never heard of it. Actually, at the time, it was called GRID, Gay-Related Immuno, Immunodeficiency Disorder. Now... We didn't claim to be Christians. This is back in the days when atheists knew they were atheists. You know, those were kind of refreshing days compared to now for some of us. But we didn't claim to be atheists. I mean, we didn't claim to be Christians, but we did claim to be family. In the gay community, we called ourselves family. And we started to live differently. And I mean radically differently. I had neighbors who left a very uh, pretty out there S&M community to become part of a Dorothy Day house and become uh, an, a, a hospice for AIDS survivors. 
every single home in my gay community was open one night of the week just to stand between you and suicide or you and loneliness. We realized that certain of the practices that had become culturally important in the gay community were dangerous and they needed to change and they needed to change from the inside out. And so we changed those practices from the inside out. We didn't claim to do it with the Holy Spirit. We just did it. Now, that's not called hospitality. It's actually called liberal communitarianism. It's where people pool together and put on their best face and sacrifice a lot. And often what I say to people is if my gay community in New York in the 1990s could pull that out, pull that off without the Holy Spirit, what could Christians do today with the power of God? Mm. See, it's a dark world and it will only get darker. Satan is, 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 is roaming pretty um, vociferously right now. It's only getting more comprehensively worse. And it's only the light of the gospel that's going to change that. The, the Christian life is not one of top-down politics. We don't believe that um, having a certain person in, in office is going to change this because sin is in our hearts. What will change this mm -hmm. is revival. What will change this is conversion. And so part of it is just asking, is it worth it? You know, is it worth it? That's something that we would say to each other in the gay community. We'd look at each other and say, is it worth it? I mean, maybe Christians don't know this, but for the most part, men who identify as gay and women who identify as lesbian have very little in common. Hmm. Okay. And we have very, we, we have, we don't have a high motivation for being in each other's lives, but we did. And we did it because there was something else that was bigger than our internal um, discomfort maybe with one another. Hmm. And so everybody can do a little something, but not everybody has to do this. And so I talk about it in the book, about the little somethings that my friends and neighbors are doing that have a huge impact on the world around them. I talk about a woman named Vicki in the book who just simply started by opening her home Monday mornings at 1030 for her, for children to learn Bible verses um, and sing songs and get together. It became like a mom's club. And it wasn't just for Christians. It was for everybody. It was a neighborhood with lots of little kids. Pretty soon it grew into a whole lot more. And right now there are Bible studies, adult Bible studies that have come from it. And just a community of moms who are helping each other with day-to-day -day things. I mean, we all remember what it was like to have little kids. I mean, you could count on one hand the number of showers you had in a month, and that's <laughs> if you were an overachiever, right? Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, you know, one of the things that Christians can do is break down loneliness in the people whose subgroup they're already in. Not that church is a subgroup, but because those are the people that we might have an, an immediate intimacy with. And so if the home is a bridge between the world and the church, please know that people, people stand around on those bridges for quite some time. Mm -hmm. uh, but and you might be wondering, well, but what about if we can't agree on the details? I mean, what if I'm praying with my Christian neighbors and we don't agree on, you know, this or that or the other thing? Well, you know what? With most of my Christian neighbors, I could not put together a church. But if we couldn't put together a neighborhood, what good are we? Mm -hmm. There's a difference between the church and the neighborhood. So yes, I'm not saying those distinctives in a church are not important. We, I am part of a very distinct, 
distinctive church. So, but, but I'm in a neighborhood. I'm in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so do what you do and open your arms widely. And remember something. It isn't just your resources that people need. They also need to know your needs. Thank you so much, Rosaria, for being on the show today. Um, we are we are just so blessed by your ministry, and and we are so thankful that God has given you to the church. You can find more from Rosaria, and specifically, you can find this book from Crossway Books on Amazon or whatever your favorite bookseller is. You can also find more from Rosaria specifically on her website at rosariabutterfield.com. If the gospel message is unfamiliar to you and perhaps you've never surrendered your life to the Savior Jesus Christ that Rosaria has pointed to so beautifully throughout this um, episode today, you can find the greatest news you've ever heard at womenshopeproject.com slash good news. Check it out. And if you go there, drop us a line and let us know you visited the good news page at podcast at womenshopeproject.com. We'd love to share with you how the gospel has changed our lives and how it can change yours as well. We'd like to thank our faithful sponsor, glorybooks.org, for sponsoring the podcast each week. We are so blessed by the ministry of Dr. Greg Harris. Go there and check out his books as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be taking a summer hiatus after this episode so that I, Kim Wine, can move to another state. We'll be back with new episodes for you in September. Until then, enjoy your summer and enjoy your coffee.